0: As I said, we're in a series called Come and See, and some of the first words that Jesus spoke was come and see. Uh, Some of the first words that he spoke to his disciples that is recorded in the book of John was come and see. And people are interested in what, what is life with Jesus about, or who is this person, or what might life with him be like? And Jesus simply says, come and see. And I think this is a is a great uh, just kind of invitation to any of us. If you're a Christian, it's a it's a good invitation to, to see, hey, come and see what Jesus is all about because so many times in our lives there's competing invitations to come and see what life is in some other kind of uh, philosophy or in some other way of life. And if you're not a Christian and you're kind of exploring what uh, Jesus or Christianity or all that stuff is about, it's an invitation to you to say, hey, come explore what is it might be like to live life in relationship with Jesus. Come explore what it might be like to, in, to investigate who he is and, and what he's done. And, and as, we, as we get into it today, we're, we're just going to really start with this question, which is what does Jesus want for you? And this is not a question I'm assuming that you kind of walked in here with, and yet it's a, it's a really important question. If you're a Christian, it's an important question because you become a Christian at some point in your life, but, but that's just a point in time, and then there's, there's so much more after that. You've got decisions to make. You've got difficulty in your life that's happening. You've got different experiences and things that you've got to figure out. It's not just, okay, I'm a Christian, and, and now I kind of live my life. There's, there's still stuff happening, and, and to think about, man, what does Jesus actually want for me to experience is, is an important question to thinking about and and obviously if you're if you're not a Christ, uh, Christian this is an important question because you're just kind of uh, figuring out man what does he even what does he even want uh, wh- wh- why why would I even investigate who he is what what would it be like if I was exploring who he was what, what does he want in my life it's a, an important question to think about Curtis I'll go ahead and grab that that other mic I'm not sure what's going on with this. Um, All right, here we go. We're going, we're going handheld today. That's, that's, we have some handheld fans in the, in the, in the, in the church today. Uh, all right. So, so let me start with, let me start with saying this. It's not, what, if you ask this question, what does Jesus want for you? Here, here's what it's not. And this is important to start with because there can be a lot of confusion on what it is that he wants and it's not morality. What Jesus wants for you is not that you would be a good person, that you would live a good life and be a a moral person that obeys all of his teaching. And I'm not saying the opposite of that, that he doesn't want you to be a good person. He wants you to be a bad person. I'm not saying that. But the main thing that Jesus is after in your life, the main thing that Jesus wants for your life is not, hey, that you would just be a good person that you would be an upstanding individual, that you would obey him, that you would live a good life, that you would be a loving person. That is not what Jesus mainly wants in your life. It's also not even forgiveness. And sometimes we, we may think about it in that terms of, you know, what does Jesus want from me? Well, he mainly wants me to just, you know, come to Jesus, he'll forgive you of your sins. And, and that's not mainly what Jesus is after in your life, though he does want you to experience forgiveness. There's something much more that Jesus is after in our life than, than either of those things, even though that might be what we often think is, what does God want from me? What does Jesus want from me? He wants me to live a good life, wants me to be a loving person. Maybe he wants me to be like him or live my life uh, doing what he would have me do. Or, or maybe it's that he just wants me to experience forgiveness. And, and those are all true, but that's not mainly what Jesus wants in your life. So, so what is it that Jesus wants for us in our life. And, and we're going to look at uh, the, the very, close to the very end of uh, a book in the Bible written by a man named John, and a story that really helps us to understand this, of what it is that Jesus wants for us. So, and you may have heard this story, but, but here's what happens. Jesus dies, then he resurrects. He comes, he comes back to life, and it says this, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin so he was a twin apparently, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus appeared to all of his disciples, but, but not this guy. He, wasn't, he was sleeping in or something was happening with him. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, because a spear also went through Jesus' side. He says, unless that happens, I will never believe. Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John, the author of this book, closes the book at this point. He kind of uses this story to then give the purpose statement for why this book is even written. And he says this Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, now, this story and really even this kind of conclusion of, of why this book is written, we're 20 chapters into this book, and he says, let me, let me tell you why I've been writing all this. Let me, let me even give you the point of this story that I, that I just told you. There's something that Jesus wants for you in your life, and there's something that Jesus wants for me, and there's something he wants for all of us to be able to experience, and John says this is what it is. It's that we would have life in his name. That we would have life in his name. This is the thing that Jesus wants for us. What does he want for you? Is it, is it forgiveness mainly? No. Is it morality mainly? No. What John says is Here, here's what Jesus wants for you to experience. Here, here's what he wants. He wants you to have life in his name. Now that's weird language, right? You, you, we don't hear that very often. We don't say that very often. That, that's kind of a phrase, life in his name, that, that can be kind of difficult to understand. So, so let me just kind of explain a little bit with, with some examples of, of what this means, that Jesus wants us to have life in his name. If you think about, if you think about, um, this was a few years ago. There was a, a bombing in Paris at Charlie Hebdo, which is a um, like a, they they I don't know why I'm losing the word, but they, they print stuff. They're like a newspaper magazine company, okay? And uh and they they printed um a cartoon of Muhammad and some people got very upset about that and there was a bombing and several people died. This was a few years ago if you remember this, right? And then what began to happen is there was a hashtag and signs of uh, and, you know, I had to look up how to say this, but Je suis Charlie, you know, which means uh, I am Charlie. It kind of looks like Jesus is Charlie if you're dyslexic, but that's not what it says. Um, When I first looked at that, I was like, Jesus is not Charlie. What does this mean? You know, but Je suis Charlie means I am Charlie. Okay, and, and, and it says, this is an article from Slate, which, hashtag I am the default mode of showing solidarity in the hashtag era. And it talks about this, but several other examples where people say in the middle of, the, there's an attack on Charlie Ebdo, and then people say, I am Charlie. I am Charlie. And, and here's what, here's what uh, the author of this article said. We express empathy outrage and horror by subsuming ourselves into victims identities so to say I am Charlie to say that doesn't it doesn't mean we're having some sort of identity crisis we don't know who we are anymore it's saying I so am identifying with you that I am subsuming myself into your identity I'm and I am sharing your name I'm entering into your name as an expression. What what does solidarity even mean? It it means that I'm becoming solidified with who you are. That my identity is so subsumed in who you are that I am am you. So this is one example or or a recent example. Nike um, recently launched a campaign uh, with Colin Kaepernick and, and some people very upset about that, ripping up their Nike stuff, Uh, very upset. If you don't know who Colin Kaepernick is, he's kind of the guy that's famous for kneeling during the national anthem, during NFL games. And some people very, very upset about that, ripping up their Nike stuff, saying, I want nothing to do with Nike, because Nike is saying, man, we we are basically standing with him. Other people very proud about that, very supportive of that. This was the Emmys. Uh, This is uh, from a, a show Blackish uh, blackish actress says thank you to Colin Kaepernick by wearing Nike to Emmys. Now, now listen, this is, this is why I use this example. She, she's not involved in it, but she is wearing Nike to the Emmys, which is, you know, it's the Emmys. She's wearing Nike. She's wearing Nike, and she's, what is she saying? She's saying, I want to be associated with this name. I want to be a part of what they're standing for. I want my name to be associated with this name. I want my name, everything that this stands for right now, everything that this is related to right now, I want my name and who I am to say, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of what this is a part of. And, you know, this is kind of a, this is a cause, right? But brands are trying to do this all the time. Brands are always trying to get you to say, hey, I'm associated with this, with this name. Or let me give you uh, another example. Just, um, this is just from CU Boulder. I don't know if we have any buffs here today, um, but in, in CU Boulder, but you can think about this just with your alma mater, or if you went, if you went to a college, and you can think about this, everybody kind of has some sort of mascot or some sort of thing, and you're not, you don't just go to CU Boulder, or I, I went to a Seattle Pacific University, and you don't just go there, you are whatever that thing is, right? You are a Husky, or you are a Buff, or you are a Hoosier, or you are a Falcon. That's what I am, apparently. Um, I mean, I don't like introduce myself that way, but <laughs> the, but this is an article taught from a couple years ago, just uh, from their kind of website saying, what does it mean to be a buff? And they say, being a buff isn't just a title that you get for going to CU Boulder. No, being a buff means getting involved, going to the sports games and making friends. Being a buff is about going to Cosmos Pizza at 1:30 a.m. and chowing down But most importantly, being a buff is about taking pride in the beautiful place we all get to call our home. So all all of these things, look, this is a little bit of what it means to have life in the name. See, what does it mean? Life in the name means there's this name, there's this identity, there's this kind of association, and I want to say I'm a part of that, whether that's saying, hey, I, I identify with what Nike identifies with, so I'm a part of that. Or if I say, hey, I, am, I don't just go to see you, Boulder. I'm a buff, and I want to be identified with everything that's in that name. Or if I say, man, there's, there's people that are struggling, there's people that are suffering, and I want my identity to share with them as an expression of we're the same, solidarity, saying I'm a part of that. Or a, another example, the last one that I, I was kind of thinking of is my wife and I adopted about a year ago, and... Um, coming up, kind of celebrating that year anniversary, an idea that we got from um, another pastor that adopted is we're going to, and I'm not expecting you guys to celebrate this, but we're going to celebrate Davis Day. That's my last name. Um, It's not just a random name that we pick, but (laughs) we're going to celebrate Johnson Day. That's just what we're calling it. Um, We're going to celebrate Davis Day. And the reason for that is to say, hey, you have been brought into this name. You've been given this name now that we didn't, we, didn't just, we didn't just go find you and say, hey, how's it going? Yeah, we'll kind of help you out. We said, no, you are brought into this name in our heart for you, our desire for you. What we want for you is to experience life in this name. See, when we, when we adopted everything that my name is, everything that our name is, they now get. For, for good and for bad, right? Everything that my name is, they get. They get all the privileges and all the rights and all the experiences that are associated with this name. So what does life in his name mean? See, this is, what, this is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to experience life connected. He wants us to experience life connected to everything that he is. To all that he's done. To his identity. He wants our identity to be wrapped up in who he is and what he's done, what his name is. He wants us not to just, not to just say, oh yeah, there's Jesus and, I, and he wants me to kind of follow him or be like him or he wants to teach me things. No, he wants us to be subsumed in his identity, to get all the privileges and all the rights that are connected to who he is and what he's done. Now listen, you're going to experience life connected to something. You will experience your life connected to something. It it might be that the experience of your life is mainly experienced about, I've got these goals in life, kind of future oriented. Here's things I'm trying to do. And so the experience of your life right here is kind of mainly experienced through the lens of, I'm trying to get to this place. Or or for some of us, it might be that there's things in your past that you are currently experiencing life. What's the experience of your life? It might be that you are having life in an experience of this was done to me, this happened to me, there's a disappointment, there's something I wasn't able to have, something I wasn't able to get, something that was tragic in my life, and your experience of life right now is mainly connected to that. Or, Or it might be that your experience of life right now is based on some sort of identity. Some sort of identity. Something that you say, this is who I am. And it might be that that's going really well. Man, this is who I am. I'm a successful person. Or this is who I am. I'm a a good father or I'm a good mom or I'm a good husband or a good friend. And this is your identity and it's going well and that's kind of how you're experiencing life. Or it might be. And many people feel this way, man, I don't want my identity to be this, but it's what I feel like it is. Like, man, my identity might be in being a mom or a dad, and I feel like I'm doing really poorly at that. Or I don't want that to be my identity, I want it to be in being a successful person. Or I want it to be in being a successful person, and yet I'm a failure. Or you feel that way. And so our our life is experienced from some vantage point. And what Jesus says that he wants for you, listen to this, is not just to forgive you. It's not just to teach you for you to live a moral life. He's saying, I want you to experience all of your life connected to all that I am. To be brought into it, to be subsumed, submerged, that everything I've done and everything that I've worked for and all that I am, I want to share that with you and give you all the privileges of that and all the rights of that and all the experiences of that. See, Jesus doesn't just want to save you in some sense of not have you go to hell. He wants to actually relate with you. He wants to actually have you sharing in his name. This is what John says. This is the life that he wants for you. So how do we get that? How do we get life? How, how can we live connected to all that he is? If, if what it means to have life in his name is to live our life connected to all that he is, how can we do that? How can we get that? So, so just think for a minute. H- how, do you get, how do you get the life that you have right now? And this is simplistic in, in some ways. But I, but I want you to think about this. The way that we get the life that we have right now is mainly through our beliefs. See, why do you choose the things that you choose? E- even from just w- wherever you ate last night. You know, and some, maybe it was home. Okay, well, great. Then that was, a, that was a choice that you made based on some belief of, hey, I've only got a certain amount of money, or I don't like the way anyone cooks, or I don't want to drive, or whatever it was that you made a choice based on some beliefs that you had. But if you said, hey, I'm going to go to this restaurant, maybe, uh, like, like I, my, you know, sometimes people give me a hard time because I'm just like, hey, I'm not going to eat anywhere unless it's on a list. You know, I want to go to the top 10 cheapest tacos in Denver, or top 25 best restaurants, or top cool, whatever. Like, I only go to places on the list. But all that is my, so you, if you own a restaurant, you could sucker me in by just making a blog and putting it on a list. And then I'd go to it, I mean, like, it's on a list, you know. Top 10 places you need to go to because it's on my list. And I'm, All right, I'll go. But that comes from, <laughs> someone's like, okay, I'm going to do it. That, that comes from beliefs, though. That comes from, hey, I I believe that whatever it is, just the editors or the people that are, you know, kind of managing this, I believe that they've kind of done some research, and so I'm going to make choices coming from that. Or think about even just Netflix or places like that. They're always kind of showing you, hey, we recommend this for you. And you might say, okay, I'll watch that. Why? You're making a choice based on beliefs. I think this will be a good show. I think that I'll enjoy this. I think this is something that I could spend, you know, a f- few years of my life watching. You, you make a choice based on some sort of beliefs, right? And those are kind of small examples, but but the more important the belief is and the stronger that you hold that belief from minor decisions to major decisions, your life is lived out of what you believe. If it's just kind of small things like Netflix and restaurants, then, you know, that's not something someone can probably convince you. Otherwise, that's not something you're going to die for. But the stronger the belief is, the more that you say, no, this I, I really believe this. The stronger the belief is and the more important that it is, the more that it's kind of got some weight to it. The more that your life will be governed by that. There's an example of this that, that I came across uh, a few years ago, that there was a, a soldier in World War II, a Japanese soldier. And maybe some of you have heard this. This story is kind of a, a few years old now. But there was a, a soldier in, in Japan that, that the war is over, the war is done, but he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. And, and this is from an article from when he died, but his name is Hiru Onada. He's a soldier who hid in the jungle for decades, for decades, the world, world War II is done, and for 30-plus years, for 30-plus years, he says, I don't believe it, and he keeps fighting. For thir- Think about that. Here's, here's kind of a, a quote from the article. It says, a few survivors refused to believe the dropped leaflets and radio announcements saying the war had been lost. Lieutenant Onoda, an intelligence officer trained in guerrilla tactics and three enlisted men with him, found leaflets proclaiming the war's end, but they believed they were enemy propaganda. So there's a belief that they had, there's a belief that they had, a strong belief, a strong belief, and a, an important belief, the war's not done, that led to decades. I mean, can you imagine that? For decades. And, and they raided villages and they killed, I think, 30 different people over the course of these, over these uh, few decades. Because they refused to believe something, or another way of saying that is they did believe something. They believed the war was still going. This is a belief that controlled their life. See, our beliefs, our beliefs control our lives, and all of us will operate and experience life from some belief. We will experience life from some belief. Uh, let me think about this in your life. Think about when you get worried or anxious about things. That comes from belief. You believe something's going to happen tomorrow or in the future, or something's not going to happen. They're just two sides to the same coin. You, you, you might start to experience anxiety and worry and fear. Why? Because what if I don't get that job? What if that money doesn't come through? What if I never get married? What if I'm uh, married to someone I don't like? What if I never have kids? What if my kids hate me? What if my kids love me too much and don't want to leave me alone? <laughs> like you, you've, got, you've got anxiety or worry, fear. That comes from beliefs. Or, or maybe you experience feelings of shame or guilt and, and just feelings of, uh, you, you might classify those as kind of low self-esteem, but feelings of like, man, I just, I don't like myself. Well, where does that come from? It comes from beliefs. That there's certain things that you believe about yourself. There's certain things that you believe about who you are. Or, or think about even bitterness that starts to develop in our hearts or conflict between people. And so many times people have conflict with one another that's, sometimes it's based on real beliefs, but a lot of times it's not even based on real beliefs. You've talked to people that have said this about you or, or maybe you've felt this about other people and then found out it wasn't true of, oh, I thought that you meant this about me. I thought that this is what happened. Wait, you don't think that? Or wait, you don't feel that? And we've, we've kind of had this conflict going on. See, a lot of our conflict comes from our beliefs or uh, feelings of bitterness start to develop in us where we begin to feel like, man, nobody cares about me. Nobody likes me. Man, people aren't there for me the way I'm there for them. What, all those are beliefs. True or not true. I'm, I'm not even saying that they're not necessarily true. Some of those things might be true. Maybe, maybe your friends don't care about me. you. you maybe, maybe you're a better friend to other people and, and they don't love you and they haven't served you the way that you've served. But all of those are beliefs which lead to our life. It leads to our emotional life. It leads to our spiritual life. And we start to make choices and decisions. Our life flows out of our beliefs. Our life always comes out of what we most strongly most truly, believe. And if we want to have life in his name, if we want to experience life connected to all that he is, we actually have to know who he is, which is another way to say believe. If we want to experience life connected to all the privileges and all the rights and all the blessings and all that Jesus says, this is what I want to give to you. If you want to experience that, you have to actually know him. You have to actually believe who he says that he is. Here's how John says this. We, we read this, but he says he wants us to have life in his name, but that comes from believing. That by believing, you may have life in his name. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing You may have life in his name. The way that we get life connected to all that he is and all that he's done, the way that we get that, the same way that we get any kind of life, is through belief. It's through actually knowing who he is and actually believing and relying and trusting In who he is. Now, this is important because it's not. Maybe some of you would say, "Okay, yeah, I I believe I believe who God says he is. I I believe the Bible. I believe who Jesus is." But is it a controlling belief? Is it a belief that you would stay for three decades in the jungles saying the war's not over? Kind of belief. A belief that actually is vivid. And controlling. There's an old kind of American theologian. His name was Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s. And he said, I've always loved kind of the way he phrased this, but he said there's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and tasting that honey is sweet. So you may have heard things and that you would actually say, yeah, I, I believe those. I can check the box and say honey is sweet. I can check the box and say, Jesus is gracious, or Jesus forgives, or Jesus loves me, or or, God's in control, or God is power. I can check the box and say, yep, I believe it. But there's a difference between knowing something in that kind of belief and experientially tasting it. A different kind of belief that says, I know honey is sweet, not just because I read about it on Wikipedia, but I know honey is sweet because the way it hit my tongue on a fresh piece of toast, and you go, that kind of honey. And if you don't like honey, you're like, this is gross. But if you like honey, and you go, man, that just kind of creamy honey, man, that is sweet. And I know it not because I read about it, but I felt it. I tasted it. I experienced it. See, the way that we live life connected to all that he is is through belief. But it's got to be a vivid experiential belief. And This is part of what's going on with Thomas see, part of what's going on with Thomas, Thomas had been with Jesus for several years. He had had been with Jesus for several years, and Jesus is teaching him. Jesus is always saying who he is. Jesus is always saying, here's who I am. I'm the door. I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. Jesus is teaching his disciples for several years. So Thomas believed in some way who Jesus was. Thomas believed. He knew. he, He understood in some way. And yet, when it came time for it, there was something that Thomas still didn't grasp, something he still hadn't tasted, something he still hadn't experienced at a deeper level. This is part of what Jesus is doing, is moving Thomas from what we might call kind of an intellectual belief in some way to an experiential belief. It's the same thing that, that we need. It's the same thing that we need because there might be for you something that you believe about God But a lot of times we say it like this. If if you're a Christian, we say, man, I know it here, but I don't know it here. See, this is the kind of belief that actually controls our life, though, is the things that you know here. See, there was actually other soldiers with the guy I mentioned, and they gave up. They gave up. And, you know, I wasn't there, obviously, so I'm not going to try to you know say what was going on necessarily, but but there's a sense in which they might have believed something here, but at the deepest core of their heart of what they were willing to actually live their life and give themselves to, they, they didn't. Whereas this guy said, no, I believe it here, but I believe it here. And it's controlling my life. But see, that's what makes all the difference to experiencing life connected to all that he is. Because you might know that God is gracious. But man, you might need to believe that in a deeper way for your heart. There's something about God that that each of us needs today. There's something about God that that each of us needs to believe, not just in a a doctrine test that you could say, yeah, I I, I scratched off all the marks, but, but in a way that you say, no, I know God is, I feel God is gracious. See, there's things about God, there's things about Jesus that he wants you to know about who he is. Maybe, maybe you need to know that God actually cares about you. And I, I, I doubt that anybody would walk in here today, and if I said, do you think God cares about you? M- maybe somebody would say, no, he doesn't. But most everybody's going to say yes, but maybe you need to know that. Maybe that needs to be a belief that goes deep in your heart, and Jesus says, I want you to know. I want you to believe I care about you. I want you to believe that I'm in control of this world. I want you to believe that whatever's going on in your life and you start to feel anxiety and you start to worry about the future and you're not sure what's coming next with work or with relationships or with money and you're not sure, Jesus would say, I want you to know I care about you. I want you to know that I'm in control of this world and you don't have to be. I want you to know that I graciously accept you, not because of anything that you've done or ever will be able to do, but I look at you with grace, undeserved favor, and accept you. And you struggle with saying, man, I'm not as far as I want to be. I I want to make more progress in life. Why am I still here? You know, why have I not grown in the ways I've wanted to grow? And, And Jesus says, look, I know you believe this already but I want you to taste it. I want you to taste that I have died and forgiven you of everything you've ever done and anything you ever will do and that you're mine. I want you to taste that you belong to me. I want you to taste these things. See, that kind of belief, that kind of belief is what actually allows us to experience life connected to his name. Look, back to kind of my example with adoption. That's what I want for my kids. What I want for my kids is for them to experience life in my name. Everything that it means to be a part of our family and to share our last name. I want them to experience that. But in order for them to experience that, in some ways, they have got to really know who I am. They've got to know that I, I'm, I want good for them. They've got to know that they can trust me. They've got to know that I care for them, not just have read it in paperwork that they were told by a social worker. Hey, they care for you. Hey, they're good people. They have to experience my goodness, my care, my trustworthiness, my protection. That's the way that they begin to experience life in my name. And that's what God says he wants for us is for us to experience life connected to everything he is. But the only way that happens is as we actually get to know him. And Jesus is saying, and the author of the book, John, that that writes this is saying, come here. Come look. Come let your belief develop. Jesus is saying, I want to show you who I am. I want to reveal to you who I am. Now here's what this also means. It means that where there's doubt in your life, you have to explore it. Means where there's doubt in your life, you have to explore that doubt, that you've actually got to press into it because it is affecting you. And you might not know that, you might not think that, you might go, "No, you know, I've kind of got this doubt, uh, and 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 I'll just kind of move on from it." And when I'm when I'm saying doubts, I'm I'm meaning that in two ways. There, there's a doubt that is like, I don't know if I believe who God is. That's a it's a very um, conscious doubt but there's also doubts that are at a little bit more of a subconscious level which are the doubts that are expressed in what i was saying before which is i believe it here but not here those are doubts though because it means you're not really experientially feeling that the belief isn't as strong as it could be and what that means is where those doubts exist if the way that we get life connected to all the is is through belief, where those doubts exist, you've got to explore those. Otherwise, your faith and your experience of life connected to his name is shallow. It's, you're never able to really deeply be submerged or subsumed in it. Like the author of Slate said, you're not able to be subsumed and submerged in the identity where you stay at a shallow level. See, this is why I love the way that Jesus deals with Thomas. See, Thomas says, "Man, I don't, I don't know if I can go that far. You guys are telling me something was true, but unless I actually..." And I think I've always, every time I read this, I think it's a little. The guy's a little weird because he's like, "Unless I put my hands in his wounds, and like, that's a little creepy, dude. Like, somebody said that to me, you know. Unless, I won't believe you had surgery unless I can stick my hand in the like. Well, <laughs> calm down, dude. You know. <laughs> but I, but I, I love the way that Jesus deals with Thomas, though. Because the way that Jesus deals with Thomas, he doesn't say, nope, just believe. Just believe. And some of you, man, if, especially if you're kind of coming back to church after a while, or you might have grown up in church. That might have been the message that you just heard over and over again, was just believe. But that's not how Jesus deals with Thomas. The way that Jesus deals with Thomas, he walks up to him and he says, here. And he says, "Come, come here. Come stretch out your hand. Come look. He says, come see. See, he, he deals with Thomas' doubts in a way that are very gentle, in a way that are, that are very real, very compassionate, I would even say, where he's inviting Thomas to explore his doubts. Listen to me, Jesus is not afraid of your doubts. and Whatever you're not sure of and whatever you don't know if you believe or whatever you believe up here but not here, Jesus doesn't say, whoa, 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 just believe. Jesus wants you to explore that. He wants you to push into that because you know what happens if you do that. If you do that on the other side of that, Thomas gives the most profound confession of who Jesus is in some ways in the whole Bible. But definitely in the book of John, where when he actually pushes into his doubts and explores them and looks at Jesus, he then says, my Lord, my God. Nobody has the doubts that Thomas had, but nobody had the belief that Thomas had. And it came through pushing in. It came through exploring. It came through saying, what is going on here that I don't believe? If I want to experience life with who this person is. Listen, Jesus wants you to experience life connected to all that he is and all that he's done. But that only happens as you have a belief that is experiential and vivid and deep. And that happens as you're able to push in and say, I'm not going to just tell myself, just believe, just believe. I'm going to say, what do I not believe? And I'm going to explore those things. And this book, scholars will say this book, the book of John is written to people like you and me. It's written to people that are second generation Christians, meaning they were people unlike Thomas. They had never seen Jesus. They had never seen him. They didn't see him raised from the dead. They didn't see him crucified. They didn't walk with him and talk with him. They didn't see anything of that. They had just heard about it. That's you and me. None of you have seen Jesus. None of you have walked with him and talked with him and and actually saw the crucifixion. And you might have seen it on a movie, but, but none of us have seen Jesus. And this book is written to people like that. It's written to people that had heard about it. It's written to people that had heard about it, but never had seen it for themselves. And it's written to say, look, you might believe some of this. You might believe some of this because you've heard it. But God wants you, Jesus wants you to be able to fully experience what life would be like if you knew that there was somebody gracious, forgiving, in control, accepting, comforting. He wants you to experience that in your life, which comes through belief that moves from a written form or just kind of, yeah, you know, I can, check off the boxes, to an experiential, deeper, vivid form. So how do we get that deeper kind of belief? How do we get that? And belief always comes. The things that you believe always come from what you see. Or another way to say that, because seeing sometimes I I think can be a, um, a light word, belief always comes from what you soak in it always comes from what you're saturated in the things that you and the things that you and I believe and especially the things that you and I believe most deeply comes from what we have been soaked in and saturated in that that can be from your parents there's things that you believe cuz you grew up in their home there's things that you believe most deeply because of school that you went to and you were saturated in those beliefs or soaked in those Believes. Think about this. Look, everybody knows this. That, and, and no matter kind of where you are on the on the political spectrum, everybody knows that that the news is biased in some way or has the power has the power to influence what we believe. So if you're more left political leaning, then you go, yeah, the right is always kind of pushing their propaganda and always trying to you know, influence people, and that's not good. And if you're on the right, you say the same thing about people on the left, that, yeah, it's just it's the liberal media, and they're just trying to influence what you think. But everybody agrees that what you soak in, the messages that you hear over and over again, is what influence you. There's this uh, website called All Sides, which is a news kind of website, and it shows often the same headlines— but showing how different people represent them. So, like, for one example, and this is from, I think, a year ago or something, but it says, this is from the left. As Trump defends his firing of Comey, that was the FBI director, White House spins a narrative of strength and decisive action. So saying, look, Trump fired this guy, and the White House is making this big spin on everything. And the right says, ten times Democrats slammed James Comey called for his firing. So they're saying, look, everybody is just slamming and insulting this poor guy. Or I'll I'll do this one that um, the bipartisan case against James Comey. This is from the right. So they're saying, look, nobody likes this guy. Everybody hates him. Get him out of there. And they say Trump assails Democrats for hypocrisy over Comey. Saying Trump's attacking us. There's hypocrisy. See, everybody's got these different sides. But I appreciate this website because what it's saying is this. What happens if you just soak over here? Or what happens if you just soak over here? That's going to influence your beliefs. It's going to influence your beliefs. This is why Facebook got in trouble because they, they, uh, their algorithm was kind of uh, designed to only give you certain articles to influence belief. This is why the Russians got in trouble for trying to give things that influence belief. So it's kind of just continually you're seeing certain things that influence. So, I mean, the point is this. Your beliefs come from what you soak in your beliefs things that influence decisions you make things that influence your outlook on politics and the world and what it all comes from what you soak in from what you're saturated in you you know that i mean we know that but it's it's something that applies to this as well because if we want life in his name if we want life connected to all that he is and all that he's done that means that we have to actually know him believe in him But in order to have that, we actually have to soak in who he is. Here's what this means. Jesus wants to be the loudest voice in your life. It means that Jesus wants the loudest voice that you hear that's influencing your beliefs to be his. He wants the thing that's most shaping you, most affecting your choices, most affecting your emotional life most affecting your kind of practical goals and orientation in life. He wants that to be his voice. Now, a lot of times the way that we approach kind of life and our choices and our decisions is we might have kind of favorite authors that we read that influence where we go. Or a lot of times it's not even that. It's, it's we just say, I need to look inside. What do I think? What do I say? I need to follow my heart and listen to myself. And Jesus says, You know what i want for you i want you to experience life connected to all that i am which comes from knowing who i am believing who i am which comes from soaking in my voice and listening to me seeing who i am this is why john says this here's kind of the progression these are written so that you believe and that by believing you have life see how do we get life it comes from belief. And how do we get belief? It comes from, John says, looking at Jesus and what's been written. He says, the whole reason I'm writing this book to you, the whole reason I'm presenting this to you is because God wants you to know him. He wants you to see him. So it comes from what's written. Now, this is really important because maybe, maybe you say, okay, if, if, if like Thomas, I could put my hands in Jesus, If like Thomas, I could could confront my doubts with actually talking to him right there. If I could do that, then I would believe. But you know what Jesus said to Thomas? He said, look, you you believe because you see me, but blessed are those who do not see me and yet believe. Blessed are those that have never seen me, but believe. And then John follows it up with that statement. Because the way that you and I get to see Jesus, The way that you and I get to get to know who he is or get to listen to his voice isn't the same way that Thomas got to. The way we get to is by looking at what is written, presenting here's who Jesus is. But Jesus says, that's not second rate. Jesus says, you're not getting leftovers. Jesus says, you're actually more blessed than Thomas is. You're actually more blessed because you get to see all that I am from a more clear vantage point. You get to see the story from, from front to back. You get to actually soak in and get to know me. And so just some practical things, because the way that you develop belief is through the written word is what John says. But maybe, maybe you've read the Bible and you say, that's not my experience. My experience isn't that I read the Bible and then I have a deeper belief of who Jesus is and really feel like I've gotten to know him, and, and then I'm experiencing life connected to all he is. You might say, man, my experience is I open up the Bible and I go, I don't know what that means. Or I open up the Bible and go, okay, I'd rather go on Facebook. You might say, man, that's more my experience. But oftentimes that's because the way that we read the Bible is we don't start with the goal, which is life in his name. We start with, What am I supposed to do? And so the Bible just becomes this rule book that we read to say, how am I supposed to live my life? Instead of a book that we say, I want to get to know who Jesus is. I want to actually spend time getting to know him so that I can experience life connected to all that he is. And if you start there, if your posture and your approach begins with what John tells us Jesus actually wants for us, is I start with, I want to get to know who Jesus is. And so I read this book saying, God, would you show me who you are? Would you help me to listen to your voice and know you so that I have a deeper experiential belief, so that I can enjoy life connected to all that you are? So here's what this means. You need to read the Bible to get to know Jesus. You need to read the Bible in some ways also like a, like a wine snob. And th- what I mean by that is I, I met some people recently and, um, and, and they were talking about how they have a wine club. And they get a fancy bottle of wine, and then they put in a DVD and watch a lecture about the wine. And they, and they hear kind of all these different things, and then they taste the wine. And you can taste all the, the coffee people are like this, too, right? Like, I taste cherry, and I taste apricot, and I taste, you know, Kansas 1935, and whatever kind of comes out of it. And you're like, where well, is it? I taste wine, you know. <laughs> but they're soaking in it. And they're saying, what's all the intricacies that are here? I really want to get to know that. You know what happens, though, if you drink coffee like that or you drink wine like that or you drink, um, I don't know, or whatever. Just anytime you're kind of a snob about something, two things happen. People don't like you first. But then second thing that happens, (laughs) I'm joking. That's not true. Uh, But the but the (laughs) the second thing that happens is you enjoy it more. Right. You and other people around you don't enjoy it more, but you enjoy it more. Because you're noticing more of what it actually is. That's how we need to read the Bible. But a lot of times the way we read the Bible is to scroll more like we read faith. It's just kind of like, okay, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, so I kind of read that and move on. But if you want to get deeper belief and actually know him, all the intricacies of who he is, all the the notes, all the tastes of who he is, you must meditate Soak in. And listen, meditate from a Christian standpoint is different from a, from a standpoint that's not Christian. It's from a non-Christian standpoint, and I don't mean people that like hate God or something, but just outside of the Christian philosophy and worldview, meditation is usually this. Empty your mind. From a Christian standpoint, it's the exact opposite. It's fill your mind. That's why I say it's like a wine snob. It's fill your mind with who he is. Soak in. Notice all that he is and all that he's done. That leads you to deeper belief. It leads you to then experiencing life in all that he is, in all that he's done. And I want to give you just a, practical, a few practical things you can do for that. Look, I know many, many people, just because conversations, don't, don't either ever read their Bible or most of the time would never read their Bible like this. And I'm, I know this is very practical, but I'm just asking you to do this. Because this is how you actually get life in his name. So here's a couple things. One is this. It's helpful to just pick a time and a place that you're going to do that. Anytime you're setting a goal, it's really hard to do if you don't have a time and a place. That's just a standard kind of thing for anything. If you want to lose 20 pounds or you want to, you know, qualify for a marathon, if you just kind of say, I want to do that, it's not going to happen. Unless you say, here's the time and the place that I'm going to do that. Here's the time and the place that I'm going to work out. What's the time and the place? A second way is helpful is actually, we just got some bookmarks in the back, which is a method of Bible reading that we use at True Life called words. And I'm not going to explain that whole thing, but you can go look at those. But I would encourage you to read the Bible with something like that that helps you actually say, I want to get to know who he is and what he's done. And last thing I would just say is, if if you're not a Christian, even, even just like, John says, belief is something that Christians need to go deeper in. But if you're not a Christian, the way that you can begin to explore who Jesus is and the life that he wants for you is doing the same thing. Pick up the Bible and read it. Start in the book of John and say, okay, I'm interested. I'll explore who you are. Maybe read it with a a friend that's a Christian. So there's a life that Jesus wants you to have, a life connected to him life connected to all he is and all he's done for you. He he wants to relate to you, to speak to you, not just to teach you a moral life, but for you to actually experience life connected with him. And when we take communion, which we will do in just a minute, we remember that Jesus came to this earth and his body was broken and his blood was shed. And as you get to know who Jesus is just like Thomas, when you see the wounds, when you see what he's done for you to forgive your sin, to bring you into his family, to show you who he is, we can come and say, my Lord, my God. That's part of why Jesus gave us communion, is so that we could see over and over again, here's who he is, here's what he's done for me. That way I have a deeper trust and belief in all that he is. That way I can enjoy life connected to all he is. And all He's done. So we're gonna we're gonna pray and take communion, and then we're gonna sing in response to who this God is. Father, I, I thank you for uh, this time. I thank you for the fact that Jesus, you desire for us to experience life with you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are not just after us following certain principles to live by, but that you want us to actually know you. You want us to actually experience life soaked and subsumed and, and drenched in all that you are for us. So I pray, God, even as we take communion and sing, that our belief would deepen. That for those of us that do not know you at all, God, would you lead us to believe? And for those that know you, would you move belief from even a head place to a deeper experiential reality in our hearts? pray this in your name, Jesus.